Oh yeah, citizens of the world, this is Ethan from Real Life English, where our mission is to guide you beyond the classroom to live your English in real life, to help you speak confident, natural English, connect to the world, and to actually use your English as the doorway to living your greatest life. I am joined here, as always, in the Globe Studio by my podcasting partner in crime, Thiago. Oh man, did you say crime? Am I in trouble now? <laughs> hey Ethan, hey everybody. Yeah, a partner in crime typically is, you know, when you think about bank robbers or people who commit crimes, there might be two people who always help each other out in this, but we like to use it figuratively to talk about two people who often do things. Often it's like collocated in a way that has to do with getting into trouble, right? But it can just be used playfully as a way to say someone who you often are partners in doing something. Mm -hmm. So my yeah. podcasting partner in crime, Chiago, of course. And what are we talking about today, Chiago? Today we are talking about the importance of writing. Uh, writing is one of those skills that learners might not pay as much attention to as speaking, for example, but writing can be very useful even for your communication skills. So we're going to be discussing about that today. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I love about writing, Ethan, is that writing helps you organize your thinking because we have many ideas, many thoughts, and sometimes, you know, in order to craft those ideas... Writing can actually be beneficial in that case. Like, what do you think about things? What do you think about the world? Uh, mm -hmm. So by the simple habit of putting your thoughts and ideas down on paper or on a Google Doc, first, it's great because it declutters your mind already because we have so many thoughts in our head throughout the day. So this habit of writing things down, it declutters your mind. And second, you can look at that mass that you you know, wrote on the piece of paper, and then you can say, okay, how can I organize this now? How, how can I make it coherent? And then you can start crafting mm -hmm. ideas, maybe creating paragraphs, and then before you know it, you have a piece of text that communicates a feeling that you have, an idea that you have, or an opinion that you have. Um, I have been teaching English for 15 years, and I have done a lot of writing in my professional career as an English teacher and English professional. I have done, you know, essays for proficiency exams. I have done freelance writing, writing blog articles for other websites. I have done personal uh, blog articles. I used to have this personal blog and I used to uh, also write there. So I would say that this habit of writing has helped me communicate better. Now I'm able to better organize an idea, an argument, and present it with clarity. So... Yeah, this is uh, one of the benefits. I was surfing online the other day, and I saw this quote that I really enjoyed. It said that writing is the deepest form of thought, and I have to agree with that. What would you say about the power of writing, Ethan? Yeah, uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think as a learner of a language, it can be really helpful because it gives you time that you don't have when you're communicating and speaking. So it really changes your relationship with the language because even if you're, say you're writing an email, which is something that many of us, many people who are listening, I'm sure it's something that you might have to do at some point with your English is write an email in English to someone. And, you know, if you were sending this as a message to someone, like in, in your voice, if you were speaking to that person or calling that person, you would have to formulate those ideas very quickly. Most likely you're going to make mistakes. Most likely you're not going to have that perfect word that, that is in your head, but it's not coming to you right away and so on. And this even happens, of course, if it's your, your native language. But writing can really help us with that. And if you're writing an email, for example, 
the benefit that you have that you don't have on that phone call is that, you know, you take your time, you find that perfect word, you look up in the source even for an alternative to that that maybe sounds a little bit more formal or a little bit more informal, depending on the case, or you check in with ChatGPT asking, you know, how it could help you to to polish that up or make it sound, you know, a little bit fancier or a little bit more lighthearted, how you could insert a joke into there if it's the right case. And so writing really gives you so much power that you don't have when you're speaking to, to take your time to process. Mm-hmm. And you can even learn during that writing process. You did use a nice word there. You said lighthearted. What's that? Ooh, lighthearted. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you've had a really long week, let's say. Mm. So to, to give people an example, you might want to watch a lighthearted uh, movie on the weekend. You're not going to want to watch... Chago, of course, always has the Godfather behind him. You probably don't want to watch the Godfather trilogy. You're looking for something that you don't have to think too much about, like maybe just one of those trashy movies on Netflix that that's always on the mm-hmm. the main screen, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's lighthearted. Nice, yeah, it's a great word. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things you were saying is that you have a lot of experience writing, and you were giving different examples. I talked about emails as well. Some people are just using their English for text messages, right? So I think when it comes to writing, something really important to define, as with everything with your English, uh, something we always talk about in the real life way, our method for learning English, is to start with why. So when it comes to writing, you know, why do you want to improve your writing? Why did you click on this podcast or this video you know, to get some tips or to get some strategies to help you to improve your communication mm-hmm. uh, in writing? And I think it's really beneficial to talk to reflect on that a bit, because if you do that, then it's going to help you to come up with the right strategy, because maybe you need to improve your writing for an IELTS test or for the C2 Cambridge exam, for example, your strategy is going to be very different than someone who just wants to be able to better communicate with maybe they're married to someone who is a native English speaker, and they want to better be able to communicate in text messages with their their family and friends. So, I think that those would be two very different cases of, of how to improve your writing, right? Yeah, that's very true. Starting with why, very powerful. Uh, do you have any personal experience or stories to share, Ethan, about maybe how writing helped you communicate better? Most definitely, because today we're actually talking about like improving your also your spoken communication through writing, right? Almost as a, as a tool for that. So something, when I first started out learning Catalan, for example, uh, I started texting a lot with with different friends that I was making here in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And this was so useful because when you go into text on on an iPhone or on Android, they both have like these different features where you're writing something and maybe you misspell a word or even it gives you suggestions for next words. So this helped me a lot because, you know, I put the, the language in Catalan and it would suggest words or it would give me the correct spelling or something or it would let me know at least if, if I'm inventing a word that doesn't exist and so on. Uh, and this was really great for for picking up all these different tidbits, all these little pieces of information. And from there, you know, as I started evolving my language and everything, I kind of, I got to a place where I had become stagnant, where mm-hmm. I had plateaued in my learning. And so I was like, okay, you know, what can I do? And I decided to actually sign up for the C1 exam. And this was really interesting because, uh, you know, I had never needed to use Katsan for work, for example. So I didn't have any motivation to improve my writing. But for that exam, as for any exam, there's always a written portion of it. And the written portion, especially if you're at the higher levels, which uh, I'm sure, Thiago, you can talk more about this because you have a lot of experience in training people for these exams. But you have to be able to do a variety of different types of writing. So one type might be an email, another type might be a more formal letter. Um, Another type might be like actually 
talking about yourself or talking about mm -hmm. a certain topic in more of an essay format. So like these are very different types of writing and this forced me to really get better. And what was really key there was having a teacher who I met with every single week and, you know, she would give me assignments and then she would grade them. And then when we came back or grade them, correct them. And then when we uh, came to class together, she could go over it with me, explain to me things. Mm -hmm. And it was really useful for learning. So yeah, I think having a teacher by you is something that if you're really serious about improving your writing is essential. But of course, nowadays, I mentioned earlier, chat GPT, these tools didn't exist for me when I was studying for that exam. So that's another if you can't afford a teacher, that's a really valuable tool they should start using if you're not already. Yeah, just a word about proficiency exams like the Cambridge exam or IELTS. Um, yeah, it can be very useful, especially if you are an intermediate or upper intermediate learner and you want to take your English to the next level because usually the way the writing task is graded in those exams, it's quite complete. It's complete, actually, because it's a set of, uh, let's say, criteria. For example, they analyze the content of your piece of writing Meaning that, did you understand the question they asked you? And did you include everything that was asked? This is one point. They also analyze coherence and cohesion, how coherent your text is, your paragraphing, uh, the order you present the information, your linking words, you know, how you link the sentences as well, that knowledge. They also analyze your grammatical accuracy when writing. And finally, the vocabulary range. I mean, if you can use various words, synonyms, antonyms. So yeah, I mean, for an upper intermediate learner who really wants to get past that plateau, uh, that can be very beneficial, studying for one of these exams, like I could do with Catalan, the C1, yeah. Yeah, and for some people it's an obligation, right, because they want to study abroad or work abroad. And what you said about the rubric, that's really useful too, because you can look, you can go look that up, you know, that's something that they they offer to you. So you can see what kind of things are they looking for, how did they... Uh, you know, how do they define what good writing is? Because if you're just going open, like I want to improve my writing, but it's, you know, what does that mean? So this can be something that gives you a lot more structure to to go point by point and be like, okay, your grammar's weak or this is weak. And that's another place I too would recommend having a teacher because they can read your text and they can say, okay, like you're really strong, like you have a really um, wide range of vocabulary that you're using, but I can tell you that you're weak on some of these different grammatical structures, for example, and they could help you to, to work on those. Yeah, that's very true. And another benefit of writing, I would say, is it develops your critical thinking. You become better uh, at thinking about things critically. I actually pulled up here a definition that I really liked about critical thinking. What is critical thinking? So I got this from the website criticalthinking.org. And uh, let me just briefly read how they define critical thinking. This is really cool. Critical thinking is the intellectually disciplined process of actively and skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing, and or evaluating information gathered from or generated by observation, experience, reflection, reasoning, or communication as a guide to belief and action. What do you think about this definition? I really liked it when I saw it. Like, oh, I got to say that in the podcast. I got to share that. <laughs> it's very, very complete, right? There's a, there's a lot that goes into that. It does, yeah. Because, you know, I do have a personal pet peeve, Ethan. Mm -hmm. And uh, What's a pet peeve? It's something that annoys you, something that gets under your skin, that annoys you, irritates you. So um, I am a person who likes to understand the why of things and who likes to have reasons why I do the things I do, why I like the things I like, why I don't like the things I don't like, you know? 
from more mm-hmm. complex abstract ideas to even simple everyday trivial things. So for example, you know that I like rock music. I can give you a list of reasons why I like rock music. It's not just because, oh, it's cool. You know, I like to go a little bit deeper and I try to encourage my son to do that as well. My pet peeve is uh, sometimes I ask someone, hey, uh, you like that movie? Oh yeah, I loved it. Great, why? What do you like about it? And the person goes, "Um, I don't know, it's nice? Or I don't know, it's cool? You know, it's a very shallow, superficial answer. You know, that is a pet peeve that I have. So um, I think writing about your ideas, your interests, gives you that maybe deeper layer of thinking as well. When I used to have my personal blog, I used to write about everything just to share my thoughts. And I, I remember writing a blog post explaining why I love rock music so much. Like, you know, I really thought about it, just, you know, going deeper and why? What, what is it about this style, this genre that attracts me so much, you know? So you can apply that to, like I said, everyday trivial things, but also more complex topics as well. Um, what would you say about this idea of critical thinking, Ethan, and how writing helps you with that? Yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting. Maybe you could even share an example. Explain more about your your son, why you're why you're imploring him to learn more about critical thinking and to apply mm-hmm. this more himself, and and some examples of that. Because mm-hmm. I know any parents listening probably would find that interesting. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think it what you were saying there is really interesting because I. And in some sense, it makes you more complete as a human being. It makes you more mm. three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So if you get in a conversation with someone, and especially if we're talking about language, if you're going out there to try to practice your English, and someone asks you, I don't know, you just saw the new Avatar movie, and they ask you, oh, what did you think about it? And you say, oh, it was good. It was you know, great great uh, visual effects and stuff like this. That's just very, very shallow. But if you've practiced writing, and you've gotten better at expressing yourself, as we're discussing, mm-hmm. then you'll be able to practice your English a lot more when you actually get the the chance to speak because you can you can go much more in depth. And this is going to give other people a deeper place from which they can connect to you. Bye. Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying about being a more complete human being, more well-rounded. Yeah, because you become a more interesting person to talk to as well because you always have something exactly. to add, to contribute uh, in a conversation, in a discussion. So yeah, this is a, a great point. When I mentioned my son, uh, I, I like to get him to ask why even for simple things, like he likes to play video games. There is a specific video game he likes to play. Okay, I ask him, why do you like this game? And then he goes, oh, I don't know. And then I I tell him, think, think a little bit, let's reflect. I mean, what is it about this game that you like? Is it the graphics? Is it the action? Is it the characters? You know, so encouraging him to think a little bit deeper. And if you do that through writing, that's going to help you even more develop this critical thinking. Because you can take your time find the right words and everything, and that all also uh, translates to your speech. Exactly. Or transfers to your speech. Uh, cool. So, speaking of pet peeves, we're going to be watching a TED Talk that a uh, journalist shares some of his pet peeves, also about writing. But before we get into that, we have a shout-out to a very special listener and app user. All right. The first shout-out goes to Shamodi. And uh, the shout-out goes, this app blows me away all the time. We can not only listen to podcasts, but also talk to other people and enjoy the process. I can give 5,000 stars for this perfect app. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
That was amazing, Shamori. They said the app blows them away all the time. What does that mean if something blows you away? If something blows you away, it impresses you. It's so impressive that you, you go, wow. You get like, I don't know, maybe flabbergasted or shocked like in a positive <laughs> way. Like, wow, that's amazing. I'm blown away. You know? <laughs> yeah, so if you really want to take your English to the next level, we don't have so many features yet for writing, of course, but you can be listening to this podcast there and get all the most important vocabulary with our digital transcripts. And, you know, that's going to really help you to learn the most that you can from this and improve your writing and your speaking. And the best thing for your speaking is maybe you're practicing your writing, you're uh, journaling about the newest film that you saw or about a video game that you're playing or something like that. And you want to actually go out and practice speaking about this with someone, then, you know, the only place where you can do that anywhere anytime at the press of button is the Real Life app. So check it out. All right, Chiago, what do you have for us? Tell us more about this TED Talk. Yeah, I found this TED Talk really interesting. So I thought it would be cool to uh, bring it to the podcast. And it's called How to Write Less, But Say More. And the speaker is a journalist. I think his name is Jim Vandehey, I believe. He's a journalist who leads two media companies. And in this talk, he talks about how he and his team came up with this concept called Smart Brevity. And basically, this is about delivering smart content that is useful, that is informative, as humanly fast as possible. Because the point he makes here is that, yes, even though nowadays people's attention spans are a little bit shorter, people still want good quality information, smart content, as he calls it. But the, the trick here is give me good content as fast as humanly possible. And he said that when his team started to apply this strategy called Smart Brevity, uh, they started to have a lot of business, you know, their business started to succeed. And uh, in this clip that I selected, he's talking about one thing to avoid when writing. He gives other tips, but this is one of the tips, and I found it really interesting. Let's say it's one of his pet peeves as well, and it's quite funny, actually. So we have the clip here for, uh, to watch, and uh, T is going to play for us now. Which relates as well to point four, which is be human, write like a human. I, don't, I see this in journalism all the time. I don't understand what happened to our species that when you put a pen in our hand or a keyboard in front of us, we suddenly stiffen up, think we're a Harvard professor or we're Walt Whitman, and we try to show off in our writing. Like, if I was talking to you in the bar, I'm not going to use SAT words. I'm not going to talk in acronyms. I'm not going to use wordy clauses. I'm going to talk like I'm talking to you now. I'm going to talk like a human. So stop. Stop using those big terms. You think that people think you're smart when you use them? They don't. They just want to throw a shoe at you. <laughs> really cool right <laughs> that's fantastic you know I, I really loved what he said at the end of the clip here yeah you know you think you're being smart using all those fancy words no people just want to throw a shoe at you <laughs> that was really cool i've met so many english learners that do this as well because it's basically that that you think that you'll sound like you're maybe not smarter but you'll sound more fluent you'll sound more native like if you use really advanced words but if you think about it I mean, it's good to think about your own native language and how you speak with your friends um, and even with your work colleagues. You're probably not using that really fancy, elegant language. While in writing, like oftentimes, depending on the type of writing you're doing, those can be appropriate. Um, but it is good to keep in mind that some of that more flowery language might not suit you if you're having a casual conversation, like he said, at the bar. 
maybe the person will want to throw a shoe at you. So <laughs> I don't think that's actually the case, but it does make you, it can make you sound unnatural, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So uh, vocabulary here, he uses stiffen up. He says that when we get a pen in our hands, we suddenly stiffen up. What does that mean to stiffen up? That might be a emotional response that it's like you, you freeze, you go stiff. If something's stiff, it's, it doesn't move. It's not very flexible. So when you stiffen up, you become stiff, which happens oftentimes if we're afraid. This happens to English learners a lot. They might say that they freeze up, but you could also say that you stiffen up when you get in a conversation and you lose the words mm -hmm. that you know are in your head. Mm -hmm. And I guess in this context of writing, uh, because, you know, he talks about being a professor and everything, I guess he's referring also to losing your human quality when communicating, right? You sound robotic. Yeah. You sound, you get so stiff enough that you sound robotic in your writing, in your communication. Um, and he mentions um, a person here called Walt Whitman. I imagine he was a writer. Is that correct? I believe he's a famous poet. Mm. But I mean, it's been a long time since my high school English classes. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. We might need to fact check that, but if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. An American poet, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And he talks about showing off, right? Uh, because, you know, we stiffen up, we try to be a Harvard professor or Walt Whitman, and we try to show off in our writing. When you show off, you try to maybe brag about yourself or show how cool you are, how smart you are. But this is kind of a disapproving term. You do that in a way that makes you come across as arrogant. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that kind of person. You show off. Yeah? Yeah. Something I noticed was interesting there was he said, if I was talking to you in the bar, and it's interesting he used in here because usually... If any learners have studied this a lot, the in on at that most learners dread, then you usually think at the bar, right? It's a it's a it's a locale, it's a small place. So usually you think I'll meet you like Chago after work. I'm going to meet you at the bar, right? So he says in the bar here because it's, I believe at least he's thinking like inside the bar. So we're inside the bar having a drink, mm -hmm. talking, right? Yeah. So if you want to be literal about that, like you are inside, you can use in. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nice. Exactly. Cool. And he talks about SAT words. I'm not going to use SAT words if I'm talking to you in the bar. What is SAT, Ethan? Yeah, so this is one of the standardized tests that we take in the United States that universities will look at. It's one of the things that they look at uh, for and uh, for letting you enter into the, uh, into the institution, right? So... Generally, when you apply for college, you need to do the SAT or the ACT. That's what I took. It usually depends on the state. One of the two is more popular. And these are just standardized tests that cover like all the knowledge that you should have gotten from, from your schooling. Uh, they look at the score on those. They look at, usually you'll have to do like an essay or an application, maybe even interview and things like this. So um, again, a, something that you know would be really important to have good writing if you're planning on applying to an American university. What would you call the equivalent exam in Brazil? Yeah, I think it's probably Enem. That's the name. You know, it, it measures a high school students' performance. Yeah, so every senior, usually in the senior year, high school students, they take it. And they can use that score as credit to get into university. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. thought that'd be useful for our Brazilian listeners and viewers <laughs> to have a, a comparison there. 
There you go. Yeah. And well, if he's saying that he's not going to use SAT words in the bar, I imagine that he's talking about fancy words or really advanced words, right? Right. So, mm. you know, back when I was taking English in high school, I had to read authors like Walt Whitman or you know, any of these very, To Kill a Mockingbird, any of these really famous American literature, right? And so you, in these English classes, also are learning very advanced vocabulary. The same, I'm sure, as if you're taking uh, Portuguese classes when you're in high school in Brazil or Spanish classes when you're in high school in Spain. Uh, any of these places, when you're at that age, they make you memorize lists of very advanced vocabulary, right? So on the SAT, there might be, uh, I didn't take the SAT, but I imagine there's multiple choice exams where, you know, they might say this word, you know, what's the definition of this word? And some very fancy word that you would never use with your friends at the bar, but that they want you to know anyway. Yeah. And he also says that he's not going to talk in acronyms. An acronym is usually an abbreviation. Like, you know, SAT is an acronym that stands for something. Um, do you know what it stands for? SAT? <sighs> Maybe Ice T can. I'm guessing it's look it's it price standard. Yeah, let's have him do that. I'm gonna guess it's standard something test. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Let's see if Ice T can pull it up. Well, let's say MTV. MTV is another acronym. Music Television. You know. So that's what an acronym is. It's a a series of letters that mean a, a larger phrase. ASAP. That's great. As soon as or possible. ASAP. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. IHOP. Do you know what the the IHOP is? Isn't that a place in the U.S., like a bar or something? It's a famous it's a famous breakfast restaurant, the International House of Pancakes. Right. I'm not sure what makes it international. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, T so just shared here. Scholastic. Scholastic aptitude test. There you go. There's Ooh. some good vocabulary there. Scholastic has to do with school and aptitude has to do with your level of something, right? Mm-hmm. Or your, your aptness for something. So basically saying that you're apt to go study in a university, for example. All right. Yeah. T also shared here that this is what it means. But as the test evolved, the acronym's meaning was dropped. Okay. I guess people just, nowadays just call it SAT, I guess, right? And uh, they don't even think about uh, that meaning. Cool, cool. And he also says, I'm not going to use wordy clauses. Uh, a clause is a kind of a, a, mini sent, a mini phrase, you know, it's a... It's a part of a sentence, yeah? Usually it has a subject and a verb. If you have a subject and a verb being used together, that's a clause. Some sentences have just one clause. Other sentences have multiple clauses, all right? Just to give an example of a clause here. Although he sings well, he hates karaoke. We have two clauses here because first we have sing. he sings well. You see, I have a subject, he, and the verb, sing, although he sings well, and then I have another clause, he hates, you see, he, the subject, and verb again. That's what a clause is. But what he's saying is, I'm not going to use wordy clauses. Something wordy is something that has many words, more words than necessary, like too long. Yeah, so he's saying that he's going to use short, simple sentences if he's talking to you at a bar. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb is like you should be able to say it in a breath, right? <laughs> if you're having to, you know, anytime someone's rambling and they're having to take several breaths just to for you to be able to get the idea of what they're talking about, then usually you're not being concise enough That's in your true. speaking. It's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. And we also had some nice connected speech in here that we took note of. So one that pretty much all the time you're going to see 
with connective speech is if you see in front of, in front of something. So he said, in front of us, you know, for example, or you could say in front of me, it's pretty much always going to be the same. So of would reduce to a schwa, uh, and sometimes it keeps the v, but we can also drop the v. Uh, he did keep it here. And it connects to uh, us, so it becomes of us, and then the T in the front drops, in, or the T in front drops, so it becomes front, uh, front of us, in front of us. So in front of us, in front of me, in front of them, you can practice drilling this over and over again because it's always going to be the same. And let's see, what else? So he said, talking to you, I think he actually said this a couple times. So something that we often have in these ing words, right, is that we will drop the G. So talking, for example, becomes talking. Um, and then we have the two, very similar to the of, it's a function word. So it reduces to an uh, so we'll reduce just to ta, ta. And we have an American T that happens there with talking to you. So the T in ta actually becomes a da. So talking to you, talking to you. Mm -hmm. Talking to you. Mm -hmm. You talking to me? <laughs> That's a great movie, right? Uh, taxi, taxi driver, right? <laughs> yeah. Robert De Niro, yeah. You're talking to me? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Classic line. And then uh, we have a really great one here because uh, he says several times also, I'm going to, but he didn't say a single time, I'm going to, I believe. So we have three options. Anytime we see I'm going to, most learners know I'm gonna. Almost every learner has already learned gonna, right? But, of course, as the language evolves, we keep reducing more and more. We all know that Americans are very lazy, right? And this comes to our speaking too. So we, instead of saying, I'm gonna, we'll say, I'm gonna. And even now, sometimes, in, you can hear this in different songs, you can hear it in series and everything. We'll reduce it all the way to just I'm a. Like, um, I'm gonna grab a drink at the bar after. Chago, do you want to join me? Or I'm gonna grab mm -hmm. a drink at the bar. You want to join me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. You know, especially the I'm gonna. I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Nice. And so let's move into today's big challenge. All right. The big challenge we have for you guys today is we talked all about writing, right? So write a short paragraph telling us why learning English is important to you. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can leave us a comment down here under the video. Or if you are listening to us someplace else, send us an email at hello at reallifeglobal.com with your paragraph. Oh, yeah. It's a great way to put your writing into practice right now. So take the opportunity. Go ahead and do that. Put your money where your mouth is, as we like to say. And uh, maybe we could share. We had uh, another recent episode where we gave you guys a big challenge and this was all about the B word. So I guess I'll uh, not say it here because if you want to learn more about that word, you can go listen to that episode, episode 335, where we also had you know a breakdown of Jesse Pinkman, who's super famous in Breaking Bad using this word. But let's uh, see what our audience said. So we asked you guys, where else have you seen the B word being used? All right, so I got two comments here. The first one comes from Naoto, and Naoto says, Hi, Ethan and Thiago. This lesson helped me a lot. Thanks. I always feel it's not appropriate to bring up a topic about curse words in my English lessons, so it's been my long-standing question. And I know a bitching song, Ain't That a Bee, by Aerosmith. Oh, that yeah, there is that song. It's true. Ain't That a Bee by Aerosmith. Nice one. We talked about, yeah, the Elton John song, but we, we forgot about Aerosmith. Yeah. 
Shame on us. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have here a comment from, I think it's Avjani. And Avjani says, hello, guys. I heard the word B being used in one of those funny videos on Instagram. Some lady in the video says, hold on. Let me get my glasses on so I can see it. What is there? And she puts on her glasses and says, oh, it's a B. I'm dying of, of laughter from this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what the woman was looking at because right? <laughs> I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I fully got that. I'd have to see the video. Maybe what was it? Evan J can can comment and and give us some more details about that because I'm curious now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I share the link to the video. We can take a look. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us this week on the Real Life English Podcast. We hope that you are going to go out there. Maybe just use some of the new words you've learned today and try writing a paragraph with them. And if you want to, whack it in the comments. We have the big challenge. And we look forward to reading those and sharing them on a future episode of the podcast. So, one, two, three. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey again, I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Don't be a stranger. You can find all the notes like vocabulary, links, and more for this lesson on our blog at reallifeglobal.com. And connect with us and on Instagram at reallife.english for even more fun English recommendations. Do you want to continue your learning and get confident, fluent English? Check out our YouTube channel, Learn English with TV series, where you can have fun learning to understand fast-speaking natives with your favorite movies, series, and more without getting lost, without missing the jokes, and without subtitles. Finally, if you are enjoying our podcast, then please assist us in helping more people go beyond the classroom and live their English. You can do this by sending a link to this podcast to a friend or by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. We might even shout you out on the podcast. Stay healthy and safe, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Aw, yeah.